if you really want to figure out, you know, what you should be doing now, you really should be looking at where you want to end up. Stephen Covey said, start with the end in mind. And he was 100% correct. So we take people to the end of their life. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Max. Exciting to have an opportunity to have this conversation. Absolutely. And thanks for coming on again. And the reason why you have wanted to come on my show is you have a book out called Wise Decisions, correct? Why don't you tell us more about your background and what made you want to write this book? So it's an interesting, I have written 17 books and it's kind of been, this was the 18th. My co-author was Dr. Sheila Walker Olson, who has her PhD in behavioral genetics. And I have every book I write, I was part of this amazing laboratory of learning, the Human Performance Institute that spanned nearly 40 years. And every book I wrote was from the research we collected, all the data we collected about all the insights we gained into the human condition and how we can help people perform better under conditions of stress and become extraordinary human beings. The last book, Wise Decisions, subtitled A Science-Based Approach to Making Better Choices. What we came to understand is that maybe the single most important asset a human being has is their ability to make good decisions. And it really hasn't gotten the attention that I believe it should, and that Sheila, my co-author, believed it should. We, we looked at schools, we looked at parenting. Parents don't really have a clue about how to teach their kids how to make good decisions. They just assume that's going to come by osmosis, you know. And so we put the decision-making process under a microscope and looked at all the research that's been done in this space and tried to develop kind of a practical guide for parents, for teachers, for coaches, those who are influencing young people and how we can really make a really better effort in constructing sound decisions that actually will withstand the test of time. And I think it really has, it's gotten quite an audience so far. People begin to see the value in it. And uh, I'm very pleased about that because I think it's an area that's been neglected for too long. And we really, particularly for young people, we need to teach them how to make better decisions. And speaking of making better decisions, a lot of people, they maybe focus on like one or two things. For example, if you want to find another job, one of the things that you incorporate in your decision-making is how much I would be making in my new job and what type of responsibilities. But that's just one factor out of a lot of factors. For you, in your book, you said that decision-making includes a bunch of factors, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. So can you explain that more and how can people integrate those factors into making better decisions? So it's so interesting. We make as many as 10 to 15 decisions in just a few minutes. We're constantly making decisions about things. Some of them are very important. 
And some just are kind of, and when you stop and reflect, well, what were you referencing when you made that choice? Most people don't have any idea. They don't even know where in their brain the decision is being made or how you came to that decision. Some people will use logic. Some people follow their gut. Some people kind of follow their emotions and emotions are powerful forces in the decision-making process. But we can get it wrong emotionally. Even our logic can be completely skewed and our gut can get it wrong. Over and again, the research is clear. Sometimes it's right, but you don't want to really bet the farm on the fact that your gut is right because it's too often not right. So what we learned was is that our decision-making process, when we are at our best, is when we're healthiest. When we have a good state of physical health, when we've eaten, we've slept properly, you know, we've gotten enough oxygen to our brains to actually allow those neurons to function properly. We have enough glucose and the brain is a glutton for glucose and oxygen. And the more we can take care of the physical body and be in a good physical state, we're more likely to make a good decision. The same thing is true with emotional health. When we're out of kind of sync emotionally, when we're angry, frustrated, vengeful, a lot of negative emotion, and even when we're overwhelmed by exciting emotion, that can derail, hijack our ability to make good decisions. We need to be in a very balanced state emotionally, preferably a positive state, but one where you're not overly kind of excited about one or the other possibility that you're considering. We make our best decisions when we're very calm mentally, when we're focused and in the, we're able to really take a look at what are the facts in the situation clearly. We're not going to, you know, just jump right into the decision without really looking at both sides. What are the long-term, short-term risks? If I get it wrong, what does this mean in five or 10 years? And the more you use this, what we might refer to as this big neural processor between your ears and get the logic and the analysis correct, in addition to the physical health and emotional health and mental health now, you're able to see things clearly mentally, you have a great story about what's happening. And then the one that we actually found was most interesting was what we might call the spiritual dimension. And that's the dimension of your values. What do you really care most about? Who do you most want to be at the end of your life? And if you use some of those assets that are really important in human beings, their sense of purpose, and those are lenses through which the decision is vetted, you're much more likely to make a really great decision. So physical health, emotional health, mental health, and spiritual health drive great decision-making. And so we tried to help people understand how how do you assess that when you're about to make, for instance, the one you just mentioned, you're making an assessment about whether you should leave your job and take a job that has more money. You're going to have to relocate yourself and your family to a very different area of the country. And then you start looking, well, what are all the things that need to be considered? First of all, do you want to live in that? What do you feel about the decision? And are you in a good place? This is probably not a decision you want to make in a short period of time. You may want to take several days, maybe several weeks, maybe a couple months if you have that time. 
before you make that decision because so much is riding on getting that right. And then what have you done in terms of really looking at all the facts on both sides, if you stay or if you go? And what, what are the consequences short-term and long-term if you don't get it right or if you get it right? So you really look at this in a very clear way, just the facts of what's going on. And then is this really a job that you think, you know, the ethics, the culture you're going to be moving into, is it aligned with your purpose? Are these people of this company aligned with your deepest values and beliefs? Will you feel better as a human being living out maybe the next many years of your life in that culture? So there are a lot of things to really assess there. And it's a little bit of a burden. But we've learned that a single misstep in a decision can change the trajectory of your life for decades, maybe even for the rest of your life. And so, you know, just a decision with a young person to take drugs or to be involved with a gang or with folks who are really involved in things and not in your long-term best interest, that decision may have consequences that at the time you thought it was just, there's not really a whole lot writing on this, but if you think about it, you realize this could really set you in motion for something that could really be tragic. Well, by the way, you said about trusting your gut. You said that's one of the worst things you could do, but it's so prevalent in terms of like advice. Oh, your gut's never wrong. How did that come about? And why is your gut wrong a good portion of the time? Well, so the question is, sometimes we get it wrong. And why do we get it wrong? Oh, the question is like, one of the things that people say is like, oh, trust your gut. Your gut's never wrong. But as you just said, a good percentage of the time, your gut is wrong. But why do we lean towards our gut so much but not use proper thinking and decision-making? You know, it's interesting. We're a complex species. Decision-making is very complex. We try to look at where in the brain decisions are made. And all the areas of the brain are kind of summoned if it's going to be a really good decision. And there's an area called the human insula that seems to be one of the most important switching stations in the brain for making decisions about things that actually are going to really make a big difference in your life. And it's so interesting that we can try to do our best and sometimes we just don't get it right. You know, but the problem is so many decisions that people make are just off the cuff and they don't really know what they're referencing. So we want to have people pause between that stimulus and the response, that pause is a sacred place because so much is often writing. And we do get it wrong. Sometimes we do everything in our power. We've really done, we've covered all the bases and we still make a bad decision. Well, we have to learn from that and try to understand we are not perfect. Sometimes we just don't get it right. But if we don't get it right because we really didn't do the homework that we should have done, we were physically, we were tired, we were beat up, we didn't get enough sleep, we didn't eat properly, maybe emotionally you were in a very negative kind of hostile state, or maybe you were just overexcited. You know, you go into a car dealership and you see a car you like, you get so excited that you just about go through the roof and the car salesman takes advantage of that and all of a sudden... You're buying a car just out of pure emotion that when you actually sat down after you bought the car, you have this deep buyer's remorse because it was way too expensive. You can't afford it. And it's not really the car that you really should have. And the one that is probably going to be 
looked on for years as really a smart buy. And then mentally, you didn't do your homework. You didn't look at how much that was going to cost you. What was the interest rate and how that's going to affect your budget going forward? And then in terms of just your values and what you hold most dear, you'd rather have that money available for things that maybe have more enduring value than a car that actually looks pretty exciting. So we're complex creatures and we don't always get it right. But this book is about wise decisions is about how do we do a better job so we don't make as many decisions that we regret when we look back. A central part of your approach to decision making is called Yoda, your own decision advisor. Can you tell us more about that methodology and how that can be incorporated into my listeners' lives? So it's really, it was quite interesting when Sheila and I were writing the book, we realized that there's a place that you go to make decisions. There is a part of you that's a, the decision-making you know, agent in this process. And in a sense, you have your own decision advisor that's always advising you yes or no. And sometimes that decision advisor is really smart and balanced and has really a great sense of what's the right thing to do here in decision making. And then we have others that they've never really gotten this capacity that we have up to speed, so to speak. They make a lot of bad choices. And so we started putting down on paper your own decision advisor, and we all have it. It's almost like somebody sitting on your shoulder, but it's actually in your brain advising you as to how you should make this decision. Sometimes it's just quick, others it's much longer. And that's spelled Yoda, Y-O-D-A. And Yoda is not the Yoda of Star Wars. There are some similarities. Once you actually train your Yoda to be a much better ally in decision-making and you equip it with the things that are necessary to really assess all the variables in the equation that you're about to try to search for an answer to, that Yoda can become an incredible gift to you. And it enters that pause between the stress and actually starts to work some magic. You know, the Yoda in Star Wars was a repository of wisdom and they had to develop it. Yoda had to be, that was a skill set that had to be developed, a capacity for extraordinary superpowers. Well, our decision-making, our Yoda, if properly trained, is our superpower. It is this ability that we have as human beings that no other species has, no other species, no other animal in the animal kingdom has the capacity for what we call reflective consciousness. The brain can actually observe itself. We can actually look at what is our Yoda saying to us? What is the advice our Yoda is giving to us? And where is it getting the information? What is it using to make these decisions that are so important in my life? And so you take more control over it and you begin to upload all those things into that Yoda base, into that reservoir of wisdom for Yoda to be considering in the decision-making process. So, and the more you make it a habit, the more you automate that process, the better decisions you make, even instantaneous decisions, whether I should stay up and watch that movie, that late night movie, knowing that tomorrow I have a big presentation and I probably won't be able to exercise before going in if I stay up too late. And I'm in that whole cascade of that one decision actually impacts the kind of success you might have in your presentation 
tomorrow afternoon, which if you don't link it up, you really think, well, I'm just going to watch. I'll go to bed at one or two in the morning. And that's not a big deal. But when you look at all the factors, that presentation tomorrow for you is really a big one. And you don't want to be anything less than your very best. So how about getting to bed early, eating properly, having a great breakfast, maybe a nice workout, go over your notes and lay it all out so that if it doesn't work, at least you did everything in your power. You controlled all the things you could and your Yoda was very wise. Your Yoda actually came to your aid and assisted you in doing all the things you should be doing to make the right decisions about how to prepare yourself. How can people strengthen their Yoda skills? Well, first of all, it's important to know that, you know, we talk a lot in the book about this inner voice. Your inner voice is actually your coach. The way you speak to yourself is closest to what I call your command center, where Yoda is actually operating. And we're trying to get the neurological correlates to that, but it's still the scientific community, neurologists, I mean, the whole neuroscience area they're still not 100% certain exactly where this is all taking place. But we do know that there is kind of a central control center where information is coming in and then it is processed, meaning is made, and then in some way it is factored into your version of the world and your ability to make decisions. And the arbitrator is this voice that no one hears but you. And we all have an inner voice. And Sometimes that inner voice is very dysfunctional. It's very harsh. It's critical. We've learned it starts forming actually prenatally. The auditory cortex of a child is actually able to pick up certain sounds and the stress hormones that are flowing through the mother actually have an ability to impact the, the fetus. And eventually, somewhere around the age of four or five, this inner voice, this private voice starts to take form. And it becomes the accumulation of all the neurological inputs that have been in that child's life to date. And they're normally the mother, the father, or siblings, or school teachers, or coaches. As they get older, they begin to form this narrative inside their head. And this narrative becomes a very critical component of their Yoda. This is your inner coach. You're coaching yourself if you say you're stupid, you're dumbhead, you can do this, it can be in the I form, I can do this, or I should be doing this, or it could be you. But it is a critical force in the whole decision-making, you know, kind of base of from which we make really important estimates about what we should be doing in this moment. What's the right choice here? So the more we can bring really an understanding of what are the most important imperatives in our life. And we actually bring that to this decision-making process. Yeah, you know, we talk about a seven-lens vetting process. That before you make a really important decision, there should be certain things that are uploaded that actually are going to actually influence the way the decision is made. For instance, all of us have what we call our best self. Sometimes it's not a fantasy. We're able to bring our very best, the best version of ourselves forward. And we're really proud of that person when it shows up. It isn't always there, but when it does, we're particularly under stress. We really are proud of who we are. Well, we ask people to vet the decision they're about to make 
through the prism of their best self. What does your best self say about that? And how about, we all have a kind of an essential purpose in life. What is the purpose for which you believe you were born? You know, Mark Twain once said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you found out why. And an old Cherokee Indian wisdom statement, wish is, may you live long enough to know why you were born. And the whole idea is the more you understand what your life purpose is, it kind of gives you some real clear navigational coordinates for making decisions. So vet your decision you're about to make through the prism of your life purpose. One of the most powerful exercises that I've done, and I've worked with thousands of people, we had some over 400,000 people today go through the Institute. And one of the most powerful things we did was, you know, if you really want to figure out, you know, what you should be doing now, you really should be looking at where you want to end up. Stephen Covey said, start with the end in mind. And he was 100% correct. So we take people to the end of their life. And normally you don't get to choose what's on your tombstone. But I have people actually reflect on what they would like inscribed, chiseled into their tombstone that actually reflected who they were when they were here at a level that this is what for you would be the quintessential life of success. If these were representative of who you were when you were here, whatever words you had inscribed on that tombstone, that would be the life of ultimate success. And so it could be two short sentences or it could be a word like filled with integrity or honesty or goodness or kind, whatever it is, or extraordinary mother, father, son or daughter. You decide what is the most important, really, component of your life that, in a sense, it's like this is your ultimate mission in life. And so then you work backwards. And if those are the assets I want to have, they're not automatically given. You have to work every day to make that happen. These are really hard things to acquire, to really be representative of who you were when you were here. Just the word integrity or honesty or kindness or grateful or humble, those are assets that have to be acquired. And so you have to work at that every day. And once you have what you want on that tombstone, then vet the decision you're about to make through that prism. What are the most important hallmarks of who you want to be? And let's see, does this in any way pertain to the decision that you're about to make? Does it maybe color it? Because that's the way in which you want to make decisions so that you can, I call the tombstone getting home. It's like you want to end up at your life, you know, really where it is that we all want to get home. We want a home as is simply ending up where you'd like to end up. And so if that is something that you're really clear about, let's vet this decision that you're about to make, whether it's to get a divorce or it's to actually have a surgery that's quite risky or whatever it is. These are decisions every, every so often are really important and very difficult to make. So we have a personal credo, mission statement, and we have a number of those lenses that we have people look at. And the more they do that, the more those become automatic to them. And it's really quite interesting how that shapes and makes them a little more conscious, a little more deliberate, intentional in the choices they make. And so that's uploading 
Yoda, equipping Yoda with the right stuff for making the best possible decisions. When it comes to vetting the decision and finding a decision that aligns with your mission and purpose, what type of questions can people ask to identify their fundamental values and what type of questions that they should ask themselves before they make a decision? In the book, we outline a number of questions that, you know, they're just questions like, what do you care most about? What are your deepest values and beliefs? And how do those factor in to any consideration in the decision you're about to make? What are the long-term consequences of this decision? If I get it wrong, what could possibly be the result? And how convinced are you that you've got it right and maybe you need to do a little more homework because you really have done not a great deal of deliberation so far. You're just gonna kind of make the decision and you could really make a tragic choice here that could affect you, your family, your loved ones for a long time. So it's really important that you put all the facts down, the facts for and the facts against the decision. And have you really looked at all the alternatives? Have you actually looked at all the different choices that are out there? Are you just kind of narrowing it down to one or two choices when you actually have many more choices that some of which might be far better than any that you've been considering? And it's so interesting, you know, when you're making a decision, you know, our emotions are sometimes almost referred to as a second brain. There is wisdom in our emotions. Our emotions are always involved in just about every decision we make, for better or for worse. And if you don't want to just kind of push emotion away and just make it pure logic, you want to know what the facts are. You want to know what your logical brain is saying. You look at all the details and facts around it. But then you also want to check with what are your emotions telling you? What are your feelings? What are the feelings that are bubbling up around this decision? And try to look at them not as something you just need to suppress. There might be some wisdom. You know, thousands and thousands of years of evolution have equipped our emotional brain with a lot of insights. And there might be something there that you need to listen to. We know that if you're in a very negative or pessimistic state or in a state of, you know, just kind of wild, hot emotion. It's not a good time to be making decisions. And then what does your gut say? Your gut is this intuitive. You really don't really have any logical explanation for why you feel this way. But oftentimes there's a wisdom there. It's not always right. But that's another element that you might want to be drawing upon before you make the decision. And then in the final analysis, you take all the things that you know are most important to you, you vet them through those lenses, and you answer those questions that I just raised. And chances are you're going to make a better decision and you'll be able to live with yourself. If you make a bad decision, at least you know you really went in and did the very best you could under the circumstances. Going by the way you said about state, right? About your decision-making will be heavily influenced whether you're in a positive or negative state. For myself, if I'm angry, I'll make an impulse decision that I may later regret. So that's an example of why you should right. make decisions in a negative state. So why is it important to recognize what state you're in before you make a decision? And when 
is a good time to make a decision in terms of your state of mind? So one of the greatest assets we have in life is this capacity, as I said, for reflective consciousness, for reflective awareness that without awareness, we're kind of like we can be lost very quickly. But if you're aware of the fact that your emotions are really kind of boiling up right now and you're getting all kinds of interesting feelings, whether they be anger, envy, frustration, resentment, it can be a whole host, a full range. Some of it could be excitement, just a lot of positive emotion. What's important is to say, okay, where am I on this emotional valence scale? Is it positive or negative? And is it high or low? Am I kind of a little bit bored, dead? I just don't feel a lot of motivation. I'm kind of in a funk. I don't feel that good. Well, all of those feelings and emotions are going to color the decision that you're making. So you may be better if now you realize you're in an emotional state that may not be as balanced and as conducive to great decision-making as possible. So you put the decision off after sleeping on it for 24 hours and see how you feel. So we need awareness. What are my emotions? What are they right now that are kind of going through my, every emotion has its own unique signature in the body. And feelings are the conscious manifestation of that, of all those neurochemicals and all those hormones that are being ignited in this very complex and powerful chemistry of emotion. And they affect every thought has some kind of an emotional component. You almost can't think of something that doesn't have some emotion tied to it. Well, if we have this ability for reflective consciousness, we can actually tune into that. Here's the emotion. I'm being very illogical here. I'm just going with my feelings. And the more you can actually call your brain out, because so often the brain sometimes is a wonderful fiction-making machine. It makes a bunch of stuff up to get you to what you want. Your brain exists to get you to survive and to get you what you need and want. You tell your brain you want this, you want to buy that car, you want that house. If you say it enough, your brain's going to figure out how to get that decision to be the only decision that you can make because it wants you. That's why that brain exists. So it can actually fabricate. It covers over all the details like, do you realize what your monthly bills are going to be on that house, just the electrical bills on that house or on that car? Do you realize how much you're going to pay in interest and how that's going to affect down the road just in the next year, how much available money you have to spend on things that are maybe even more crucial? So the brain is capable of actually sabotaging your ability to make good decisions. And it's doing it because you kind of want it to. You kind of want to get these things that you're excited about. I'd like to do this. I'd like to do that. And so the brain kind of selectively focuses on those things that makes that decision almost the only decision you can make at this point. Going back to what you said about like positive, negative energy, and what you said, how the brain can definitely manipulate how you're feeling. How can we use the Yoda framework to speak to our mind in healthier ways so we make better decisions to improve our lives. So the more we have an understanding that our most powerful coach is our private voice. And that voice is really making decisions about who you should listen to, 
who's going to get access to this command center in your brain where the decisions are made and everybody wants access. You have the ability, your private voice, Yoda has the ability to prevent people from getting in. You hear them, but you don't hear them. You listen, but you don't listen. And everyone, whether it's TV, commercial, or you know, on television, or somebody's trying to sell you something, they want access to that command center because that means they have a potential for influencing your decisions. And the same thing is true with almost any kind of situation that you're in, your friends. Maybe your friends want you to maybe uh, be involved in their culture, which is a little shady, maybe things that cheating on tests or using illicit drugs or whatever. And part of Yoda's responsibility is to decide who should be allowed into that command center, because once they're in, there is probably going to be influence made on the decisions you make. So one of the ways that's really important is to understand that we need to be great gatekeepers. We can't just let everyone in. Sometimes you don't want your parents' voice to come in. But if you really know that they really want only the best for you, maybe their voice needs to be allowed into that command center and to be somehow brought into the decision-making process as to whether you should go to college or not go to college or whether you take this loan out for the car or wherever or any of these other issues. The more we actually got into the science of this, the more clear it became that this is a skill like any other skill that has to be acquired. It's not something you're born with. And we actually learn to make decisions by watching those around us make their decisions. So the most powerful real learning for a young child or for an adolescent is watching their parents and how they make decisions. Are they making decisions when they're angry, frustrated? Are they really very careful about how they, and very intentional about important decisions and they do their homework they're always watching you you may not think they're watching as a young boy or girl but i will tell you they're always watching and then they're seeing how your decisions particularly the decisions about them play out in the long run and if you've been really very unintentional and you know just kind of off the cuff making a lot of very bad decisions in the moment because you're overwhelmed with emotion, they learn that and it becomes part of their repertoire of decision-making. And Yoda is really trying to serve as this magnificent internal advisor. Hey, wait a minute, Jim, it's not a wise decision. Consider these inputs, consider this before you make that decision. Hold on here. It looks like your brain is actually making a bunch of junk up. Don't sabotage your brain, your ability to make good decisions because you just want it that badly or you'd like to be able to go out with these folks or do this or do that and drink and drive. There might be a whole host of things that are happening, but a well-trained Yoda can stop you in your tracks and say, wait a minute, this is not who I want to be. This is something that actually is tempting, but I really am becoming much more responsible in how I actually make decisions, and this will be an opportunity for me to get better. I want to get better every single day of my life in terms of the decision that I have in front of me every day, and I will make some bad decisions, but I am going to get better, and I'm committing myself. Also, as a parent, I'm committing myself to 
bring this out into the open. Let your children see how you make decisions. Sit down and take them through it and actually work it through because this might be the single most important life skill they have and virtually no one talks about it. No one actually sits down and teaches people how to make great decisions and the consequences are often tragic. And obviously I'm a career podcast and there's two things that are going on in the world right now. There's a lot of layoffs and there's a lot of talk about the recession. Both of these factor into a lot of stress for people. So how does stress impact decision-making and how can you, obviously you can't alleviate stress. Like if you're laid off, that you're really stressed out, right? Like there's so much you can do. So how can you make stress less of a factor in proper decision-making to help you these obstacles that a lot of people are facing uh, this year? So in the book, Wise Decisions, we have a whole chapter on exactly that, Max. We have a whole chapter on how do you equip Yoda to help you manage stress better? Managing stress will help you manage your decision-making better. And your private voice is your master storyteller. It's the power broker in your life. And everything that comes into this powerful six inches between your ears, we have all this data flowing in from our five sensory portals. And the brain has to crunch that data and make meaning out of it. And there's a preference for things that have already been loaded in. So we tend to keep things that are consistent with what we already believe. And we tend to kind of really dump stuff. We kind of just let it go. We don't let it in and it doesn't really become part of our processing if it doesn't fit what we already believe. Well, one of the things that we have, you know, so much of stress is worrying about things we cannot control. And we actually have this ability to really very carefully look at, wait a minute, I'm in a stress response here now. I can feel the alarm, the uncomfortableness, the anxiety, the nervousness, almost a panic response. I can feel it. Now let's go back. Let's use our Yoda to try to understand where is it coming from and what are the things I can control and let the rest go. And so that you actually have the sense, I am navigating in the best way I can. And I'm not worrying about the things that are out of my control. And I'm going to make the best decisions I can. Maybe the best decision is to go to bed early tonight. Maybe it's to work out and actually get this call. It's called a catecholamine wash to actually feel a little more relaxed and comfortable, get some endorphins going. I'll sleep better tonight. And then in the morning, I'll have a better look at really how tragic is this situation that is causing me so much angst and really almost a sense of panic, maybe, about where everything is going. And you say, like, for recession is coming, I may lose my job, layoffs, it's hard to get work. Well, there's only so much you can do. And you have to look at the things that are within your control and work on those. And if you continue to worry about things you have no control What you end up is just wasting a lot of energy on things that take you nowhere. And so Yoda can be your best advisor. It's an internal coach saying, wait a minute, slow down. There's no benefit here from panicking. Let's just look at things that actually help you to change channels a little bit. Let's take some deep breaths. Let's really look at all the things in your life that you're grateful for. And that if this doesn't work out exactly the way you want, 
Tell me the things that you're certain are going to be okay, that you're not going to lose everything here. And what are the things that are most priceless? And let's focus on those. And they're normally human relationships, people you care most about. And so Yoda is really an asset that can carry you throughout all dimensions of life, or it can be a great burden because it's just really not a good coach that you would really want to have coaching anyone that you cared about. But this is your coach now. And your Yoda should be speaking to you the way you would speak to someone that you deeply cared about in that same situation. What would you say to them? How would you be coaching them? And so it's so important that people realize that is your coach. It's the most important coach you'll ever have. And stress is a part of life. And you don't want to be stress-free the rest of your life because the hormones of stress are the hormones of life. If we take those out, there's nothing left. And so the stress and recovery, this what we call oscillation between pushing and between the hormones that may be associated with anxiety or nervousness, and then recovery and you know renewal and to clear that out in some way and then go back into the storm. That's the pulse of life. Every single biopotential in the human physiology is oscillatory. Nothing is a straight line except death. So we want to constantly oscillate in the midst of a raging storm of stress, whether it's grieving or anything else. We don't want to just stay there in a protracted, what kills us is not stress. It's chronic stress. It's stress unabated by recovery. And when your Yoda understands those principles, it can guide you through those storms of life. And they are sometimes inevitable, but you know, you'll become stronger because of it. You will not become a victim. When you look back on your life, those things that have pushed you the most in life have often been the very things that have helped you grow in confidence and capacity. We don't build capacity by staying safe, by staying on the shore. We have to be in the midst of this raging storm, and then we've got to go to the shoreline, renew and recover, and then back in again. And it's that oscillation between, it's like sprinting and then taking a rest. And that oscillatory principle is something that Yoda can really help advise you in, particularly during moments of great stress in life. Jim, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on my podcast to share your book and how to help people improve their decision-making. So I want to end this podcast with one last question for you. We talk about decisions throughout this whole conversation, but for you, what was one big decision that you had to make to overcome a career challenge that you had to get to where you are today? That's a great question, Max. When I think about that, I was trained in community mental health and I was given a big job right out of school or within just a few years of graduating with my master's and doctorate as chief psychologist and executive director of a very large community mental health center system. And I was there, was at a 23-member board of directors, and I just assumed I would be doing that for the rest of my life. But I ran into an exercise physiologist by the name of Dr. Joe Vigil, who's an Olympic legend. And he and I became good friends and he started challenging me. He said, what can you tell me as a psychologist that will help me get more out of my athletes? And I looked at him like a deer in headlights and said, Joe, I have no idea. I know how to help people. I've studied helping 
people who are really struggling with mental health issues to get healthier. But I have no idea how to take normal, healthy people and make them extraordinary. And this was back in the 70s. And he said, well, you know, that's going to be a huge field. You want to be part of it. You love pioneering new things. You love research. You ought to just get into that. And so I did a literature search. And, I, and so I made the decision. And I was at the pinnacle of my career. I made the decision to a 23-member board of directors that I was going to go and apply psychology to human performance. And they thought I had duly lost my mind because there was no such thing. And I moved to Denver and set up a private practice and then eventually moved to Florida and built the Human Performance Institute. But that was a very tough decision. And most, I lost all my colleagues, all my friends, all the people that I knew at that time. I literally had not a single person who even understood what I was doing. So I kind of went against the grain. But for me, when I look back, I've had one of the most exhilarating careers possible. I am so grateful for Joe Vigil and his prodding me to think about this. And I feel like it was a very good decision for me. And although I have to say it was not made without a lot of angst, and I went into some very vulnerable and treacherous territory trying to figure out how to make a living and how to you know, maneuver with three young boys, how I was going to make this work. And so it was very challenging, but after it's all said and done, I think it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. Great. And how can people learn more about you and buy your book, Wise Decisions? So Wise Decisions is available. It became available December 8th. It's, it's in everywhere. It's Amazon and book dealers, Barnes & Noble, everywhere. You can reach me. I'm very active on LinkedIn. And my website is Jim dash layer l-o-e-h-r dot com and i have a lot of my videos and assets and podcasts and everything on both of those sites and i'm i'm hopeful that our conversation today max will prove to have some value to others and maybe get them thinking about the decision-making process the book is really designed to bring awareness to something that most people haven't thought that much about Sounds good. Thank you again, Jim, and have a great weekend. Thank you very much, Max. All the best. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.